Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the RR Show. So pleased to have you with us here today. Today, we're delving into some goodies from r slash Petty Revenge. So get your tea and your popcorn ready for our first story from Remarkable Panda 952. The best Petty Revenge is the one that happens for you. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Many years ago in high school, I, Mia, broke up with my first boyfriend that we'll call Sam. We had dated for a little over a year and I felt like we were basically growing out of each other. There was nothing malicious and we were in agreement over breaking up. Though he then proceeded to regale me about why he thought it was best, which was because he'd been seeing another girl from a different school. No idea why he ever told me that. Maybe to make himself feel less guilty? But I digress. Despite what I thought was a rather amicable breakup despite the confession, maturely dealt with for a pair of high school kids, in person he immediately began avoiding me. Soon after, there were lots of rumors being spread about me that caused my already small friend circle to dwindle further. I was a geek into computers, music, and 19th century poetry. Wasn't really the type to fit in in high school anyway, so the rumors hurt. I found out later that Sam was the source of the most vicious of the rumors. I confronted Sam over it, asking him why he did it, and he gave the non-answer of, I don't know, in the typical teenage boy fashion. By the time I was a senior, I had a strong F the lot of you attitude, graduated a semester early, and other than a handful of people never really looked back. I went to community college, got my AA, moved far away for university, and got on with my life. It was at university that I really found my footing and people I could relate to. Those that stayed back in the place where we graduated from, life just was a mediocre existence. My best friend, we'll call her Anne, I knew from high school, but didn't really become friends with her until after graduation. It's amazing what distance from the toxic social life that is high school can do for people. Anne had been invited to a lunch with a few other people from high school as a little catch-up, and Sam happened to be one of the people who showed up to the lunch. This was seven or eight years after high school. Anne and one of the other gals there would later tell me the same thing. Everyone is chatting, talking about how things are going with them. Anne would be the first to admit things were just okay. Dead-end jobs, always broke. They go around the table and it's the same general story from everyone, except Sam. Sam crows about how he was just promoted to assistant store manager of the insert drugstore chain name here, and how he was now salaried and was looking at apartments of his own. One of the other girls piped up, 
Anne, you just got back from visiting Mia, right? How's she doing? Anne goes on to give a glowing review of my life from what I've been told. Mia is teaching at the university out there and had just gotten back from a conference with her dean. She'd been one of the editors of the paper there too, but dropped that when she was given more classes to teach. Went to the beach in her new car, got goodies at the farmer's market down the street from her place. Basically sounded excited about all the things I saw as my everyday drop. If it had just been Anne telling me that Sam sunk deep into his chair and sat quietly for the rest of lunch, I would have thought she exaggerated. But I was told the same by one of the other girls. Years later, I went out to visit, seeing several of the people that were at that lunch. It came up again how comical it was to see Sam's ego deflated so deftly. The best revenge is doing better than your bullies. The best petty revenge is the one that happens without you even lifting a finger to try. Our next story is in from Necrid101. Block my driveway. Oh, I, I don't know where your car went. This just happened. In fact, I am still a little pumped with adrenaline. And off such a little act, what a rush. So I live on a street connected to an elementary school. Other residents, including myself, have issues on weekdays around 3.30pm when parents will be parked all along our street to go pick up their kids from the school at the end of it. There's no problem with that, as I expect it. We have a guy named Terry on our street. Terry had left all the neighbors a business card saying that if any people block their driveway to call him immediately, and he would tow them right away. He's basically on standby from 2pm to 4pm in our neighborhood. I never had a chance to use this card yet. The only issue for me is that I finish work at 2pm, and I go get groceries and usually end up home around 3.30pm. A few times now, I've come home to park in my driveway, and there is a vehicle completely blocking me. AKA, instead of parking on the curb, they will park at the end of my driveway, making me unable to park in. So I have to ask the owners to move. Today specifically, there was an old Dodge minivan blocking my driveway. When I got out of my car to knock on the tinted window, I realized no one was inside. I thought maybe they're napping in the back while they wait. Nope. No one was in the vehicle. I couldn't get into my driveway. This is specifically annoying because the curb behind and in front of him were both vacant. Maybe they weren't vacant when he parked there. So I got the card out of my glove compartment and called Terry. I gave him my house number and in less than five minutes, he had the bad boy towed out of there. So what happened next? I decided to start cleaning my car on my driveway until the owner came by. My first plan was to tell the owner that he or she had blocked the driveway and I had it towed. But as I was outside cleaning my car, it's 22 degrees outside in November, don't ask how Canadian weather works, I saw him coming back with his son. He looked incredibly confused as I was cleaning my car. I noticed him and didn't say anything as he was on his phone. So he actually came to me really upset. He said, hey, pal, have you seen my van? Are you that much of a fucking asshole to call it for a tow when I've been gone three minutes? So my plan changed. I said, wait, what van? And I decided to play dumb. Well, about an hour later, he rang my doorbell and asked for details. I told him to fuck off and came here to write this. Terry's back in his driveway with his tow truck, though I do plan on giving him a six pack of beer for helping me.
Our next story is in from I Am Psychet. Boss didn't want to approve a short sleeve, so instead I availed a long one. I work with a large organization, having multiple branches in every state across the country. I'm the head of one such branch. My boss, the regional manager, controls around 15 such branches in a region cluster. During August this year, I had asked my boss for a five-day leave for September, which he had promptly granted. I then informed HR about it, suggesting him to temporarily arrange for somebody to run my branch for the week. This was required because 1. Due to some corporate directives, some of the branches, including mine, could not run without a branch head being physically present in the office. 2. Enabling someone from inside the branch to substitute for me wasn't possible due to technicalities. HR assures me there's plenty of time to arrange for my temporary substitute, so I didn't think much about it, since, anyway, it's his job to take care of in cases of leave. My dumbass didn't imagine it would be crucial to get the leave approved formally in writing, because before this, nobody had ever faced something like what I was about to experience. Come the last working day before I go on my leave, I ask our HR about who would take care of my branch in my absence. He flatly stated that there was no one available in the region cluster who he could depute to my branch in my stead as many employees in our region are on leave because of festivities this week. You're telling me this now? Anyway, I fail to understand how that's my problem given that my leave was already granted a month ago. Well, have a discussion with the RM about it. I call him up. Apparently, the HR had already had a talk with him regarding this matter before I had even called him. How could you intend on going on a leave during this time, when we're already under so much pressure during this sudden staff shortage? On top of that, our company's audit is due next month. But you had already approved my leave a month ago. No, I'm sure I must have said that I would think about it. Absolutely not. I wouldn't have booked my tickets and planned my travel to my hometown to see my parents if you hadn't confirmed the leave. This went to and fro for a while and I was exasperated from this argument. By the end, I felt really humiliated that I had to almost beg for a leave. Fine, I won't go. At this point, I arguably felt my dignity was more important than a few days off work. Huh? Okay. He was lost for words at my sudden giving up. So my leave stood cancelled. My tickets had been cancelled, money wasted, and I was left utterly exhausted of this bullshit. A few days later, we got a notification for the yearly interstate staff soccer tournament being arranged by corporate. If selected, I'd be playing for my state, and the tournament, from selection till the final, would go on for a month. Soccer happens to be one of my favourite sports, so guess who just got selected in the state team? Now, here's the funny thing about sports and activities that are arranged by our company's corporate center. The top management takes these seasonal events very seriously. If you are a participating employee, nothing or nobody on this planet could make you rather go back to sit on your chair and mind your job instead of participating. So as it appeared, although not on a leave per se, but I was all set to go on a month-long tour across the country, playing soccer without having to worry about managing my branch and getting paid in the process. Even irrespective of my leave fiasco, this was a damn good thing to get involved in. 
As some of you have expressed as a curiosity, yes, extravagant events like these are not unheard of in big Fortune 500 companies. My organization is a large conglomerate and the third largest employer in our country. Still, it always beats my logic that they can spare some 150 to 200 employees for a month of fun, yet there are some regions that are plagued with staff scarcity. My boss's office was eventually informed about my participation in the event and was advised to excuse the participants from his duties till the tournament was over. The day before leaving, I drove down to the RM's office to formally inform him, from my end, about me competing in the event and my ensuing month-long absence that is to be expected. He looked expressionless and just feebly asked me, Why did you really participate? Well, you see, had I happened to be at my hometown on a short leave this week, I wouldn't have been able to participate in the event at all, or even try for the selection. Sad I couldn't go on that leave. The defeated look on his face was priceless. Oh, and another sweet bonus. The matches were actually hosted at my hometown. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Our next story is from CISO Jones. Shame me for being an unmarried mother in front of my kids? I'll show you how much of a sham your marriage is. My next door neighbors have rubbed me the wrong way ever since I moved here three years ago. The husband, let's call him Mike, struck me as a little sleazy, and the wife, we'll call her Sharon, seemed nosy and judgmental as hell. But I know myself. I know I'm quick to judge and get stuck in a certain opinion of people. My daughter's about the same age as theirs. Let's call her Maria, and she has a bit of trouble making friends. So when Sharon suggested they have weekly playdates, alternating between their house and mine, I put my dislike of her aside and agreed. It all seemed to be going fine for a while but my daughter eventually seemed less enthusiastic about going over to their place. I talked to her about it and she admitted she didn't like Sharon. Apparently, Sharon had been watching them play and directing them on how to play, and she often interrupted them to ask my daughter intrusive questions about our family, especially about my kid's paternity. My daughter is a picky eater. My daughter is a picky eater. So to start with, I would send her over with snacks I know she can eat in case there was nothing there she could eat. My daughter has told me she didn't need those snacks because they had food there she could eat. But it turns out Sharon had told her she was being rude for bringing her own food to someone else's house. And if she wanted to eat, she had to eat what Sharon had given her. So, of course, she just didn't eat there. On top of that, Sharon would invite my daughter to Sunday school every time and had gotten very pushy even though she consistently said no. My daughter still wanted to play with Maria, so we decided the playdates would continue, but only if they were at my place. I made my excuses to Sharon and initially she agreed to only have playdates at my house. 
But when Sharon and Maria showed up, they both came inside instead of Sharon leaving Maria at the door as usual. In front of her daughter, my daughter and my son, Sharon said they'd been praying about it as a family and God had guided them and told them not to leave their daughter with an unmarried mother because apparently it shows I can't make good choices and they're worried I would influence her to make poor decisions with her life and stray from her faith. So I was right about Sharon being nosy and judgmental. I decided to find out if I was right about Mike. I made accounts on Instagram and Facebook, posing as an attractive young lady with lots of somewhat local friends. I followed him on Instagram. He followed back. He immediately messaged me, and the messages quickly went from vaguely flirty to obviously trying to get some. I then took screenshots of the messages and sent them to Sharon in a Facebook message. I didn't get a response, but I did see Mike storming out of the house with a small suitcase and driving off rather recklessly. He did come back a couple of days later, so I haven't destroyed their marriage or anything, but I definitely put a dent in it. I mean, that's always a really tricky one, isn't it? Like, if your friend's partner's cheating on them and you catfish them, like... Does that make you a bit of an arsehole? It feels like you are being a bit of an arsehole, but when you really think about it, you're really being like a really good friend. I don't know. What do you guys think on that? Our next story is from Music Catnip. We are picking all the grapes. My parents rent a house on a quarter of acre land. The land with rows of grapes is not being rented to my parents, but the landlord lets us pick them and juice them every year. The only access to the grapes is through the land my parents rent. Before my parents moved in, this old lady, Maureen, used to pick the grapes with her family and choose them. As a side note, Maureen has her own grapes, but she likes to use our landlord's grapes too because previous tenants did not. Every fucking year, it's a battle to make Maureen wait to pick grapes so we can pick a share. The landlord has been clear that we get first dibs on the grapes because we're his actual tenants. We always leave her at least a row, one of four. Every year, she tries to be a sneaky little bitch and get the grapes. But this year was the worst. My mum told Maureen that she was going to pick the grapes this weekend. Well, this weekend came and went without being able to pick the grapes. My mum's helper crew got sick. My dad was recovering from major surgery, and she couldn't find the time or the energy. Marine's crotchety old ass calls to inform my mum that she's coming tomorrow to pick all the grapes we didn't. My mum asked her to please wait a few more days as her husband, my dad, has cancer and her helpers were sick. Maureen's response? Oh, that's too bad. You had your chance. Our family's coming tomorrow and we're picking all the grapes. Of course, my poor mum loses it at this point and begins screaming, Shame on you, Maureen. You call yourself a Christian? Maureen continues telling her she had her chance. So my mum came in and told me this story and I said absolutely fucking not. We are staying up as late as needed to pick every single grape off the vines. Every single one. We both called as many friends as we could. The troops are being gathered. We now have about 10 people to help us pick the grapes. We'll pick every single grape so that when stupid Maureen and her stupid family show up, there will not be one little fruit left on the vine.
And with that, ladies and gentlemen, it brings us to the end of this episode. As always, I hope you've enjoyed it. If you're bored and want to chat more, jump on our Discord. You can find a link to that over on our website, therrshow.com. And until the next episode, ladies and gentlemen, take care. Peace out. Do you enjoy science, spooky stories, and all things paranormal? We do too. While we would love for most paranormal stories to be true, we are here to tell you that they probably aren't. But that doesn't make them any less fun to speculate about. We are the Spooky Science Sisters podcast. In this podcast, we bring you bi-weekly discussions on possible scientific explanations behind the supernatural. Backed up by research articles and other credible sources, we do deep dives into things like archaeology and physics and share in-depth discussions with topic experts. Visit us at SpookySciencesisters.com to listen to a couple of skeptics debunk some of your favorite alien encounters, cryptid sightings, and ghost stories with science, sass, and a significant amount of laughter. Thank you and stay spooky. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.